Thanks for joining us today for TED Speaks with your host, Ted Carew, the Positive Safety Coach. As co-host and Ted's wife, I have the added task of keeping Ted in line and laughing at his jokes, which isn't always easy. My name is Barb Carew. We are coming to you from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, home of the Brewers, Miller Beer, and the Fonz. How could it get any better than that? Our podcast focuses on sharing ideas with business owners and safety professionals to keep employees safe and families together. Our passion for keeping people safe is the reason Total Health and Safety Solutions was created. This is how Ted is able to share his 25 years of safety experience by supporting companies around the globe in their efforts to strengthen their health and safety process. Please welcome Bill Olson. Bill is currently the Director of Safety and Employee Development for a civil construction company that he has been with for 19 years. He has a Master's in Occupational Health and Safety, Risk Control, and has been in construction and manufacturing safety for over 24 years. Before safety, he got his bachelor's degree in health promotion human development, which focuses on preventative medicine counseling. In 2006, Bill started working with employee development beyond the counseling techniques he was using in the safety position and continues with today. Hey, Bill, how are you doing today? Good. Hey, thanks for being on uh, TED Speaks today. As we get started, can you kind of give our listeners a little background about you? Sure. I went to the University of Stevens Point for my undergrad, health promotion human development. And I went and that's some more preventative medicine style of counseling. And then I worked for a few years and then I went back and got my master's in safety. Uh, I kind of like the construction field. A lot of good guys out there, a lot of good people, be outdoors, all that kind of stuff. I got my master's degree in that and I've been in construction for over 24 years. Uh, I've been working with the current company. It's a heavy civil company and I've been with them for over 19. Well, good. Now, you and I kind of talk about this and, and one thing that I want to share with our, our listeners is what is safety culture and then versus maybe organizational culture? Is there a difference? Is there not a difference? What are your thoughts on that, Bill? You know, I, I've actually seen a lot of different companies. We work with companies. We we do a lot of mentoring with different companies and then things like that over the past years. And there's, there's a, a large difference between them, but they're completely interconnected in my mind. A lot of people talk about what's buzzwords, right? People are always trying to say something. Everybody has the latest diet pill out there that's going to fix all your problems. And they go out there and they have like uh, safety culture and they have like quality culture and, you know, and all this. And now it's all about retention, you know, and retention culture. And it's those are to me in my mind are all basically subcultures at best. I mean, they're honestly topic specific results from the core company culture. I know, you know, we talked about it a whole bunch, but you know, culture alone, I've looked up a bunch of definitions of it and I've been doing dealing with this specifically since 2006 with the current company I'm with. But the one I like the best is it's just like, it's a simple one. It's about learned patterns of perceptions and values and behaviors that are shared by a collective group. That's your culture. But if you look at it topic specifically, I found that every time you have your core culture, and once you can honestly identify that, everything else has the exact same core to it. It's just your topics change. So it kind of falls in line. Yes, it does. It's it's directly related. Companies and businesses, in my mind, not, this is my preventive medicine side, right? The counseling side. We look at systems, you know, and we are, a company is just a bunch of people, right? With behavior. They run as a system. If you don't run as a system, you're going to fail. You're going to have failures, you're going to have problems. Your body alone, it's a system. Same thing. 
right? Everything has to work together inside of you for, for you to function. It's like we take the same pattern and we keep pushing it outwards beyond us because it is part of us. And when you start looking at it that way, that's when you really can tell where your corporate culture and your cultures really get into. You know, there's people who want to help and they, there's a lot of a lot of good programs out there, but they really just, they have a hard time really looking at the culture as a whole because the companies don't want to listen to it. They don't want to believe that. You know, if you're having safety problems or how, let's say quality, you have quality problems. Well, it's because it's a quality issue. No, it's not. It's a corporate company. It's a corporate issue. It's a core issue. And it's manifesting itself as a quality issue. You know, we, we go but through that. Kind of easier to put it off in, in one in the boxes, right? That way versus making it look as the overall. I don't want to sound too negative, but honestly, when you break it right down, it's the easiest way for the people who are in control of the company's culture to pass the buck because it all actually ends up with them. We've applied programs all the way through different levels and different stages, right from the top all the way down. In the middle, we started and you can get changes, but they're short-term changes. But whatever the top, the very top, the part that's actually controlling the culture of the core of the company, whatever they want to push will always feed through everything else because they start setting up systems around themselves that support what they want. So I found it very interesting, your education in health promotion, human development, and that's kind of like the preventative medicine. So when you were saying, if you carry that over to really anything in life, everything kind of fits together. Sometimes it's hard to convince people that that's really the truth, like they just focus on one thing. So when you're talking about how everything kind of streamlines and fits together, is it hard to convince some people that don't really have that mindset (laughs) to go that way or think that way? It's as easy as teaching people who don't want to quit smoking to stop smoking. Yeah, yeah. Or should I go? Yes, exactly. Right. So what are some ways to kind of get over that barrier and show them, you know, not just tell them everything kind of flows together, but show them, is it through examples or? Examples? Yes. Examples can be part of it, but it has to be more of a connection. Honestly, whenever you're dealing with counseling, so it's a little bit of background on what I actually did. So when I transferred from like medical preventative medicine side and the instruction to the safety side, and I found myself in a position where I was the only safety person for an entire division and, and then some because we covered part of an area. So at, at, well, at any given point, I had anywhere from 35 to 45 jobs underneath me spread throughout three states. Well, when you're one person who's got to go to all these places, you can't be there, right? So the whole, you know, safety on site, safety, all that, all that kind of stuff on site all the time never worked. So what I had to do is, and I told these guys this, uh, I told actually the people I was working with the closest about four years ago that I was not their safety person. I was their counselor and I just happened to be talking about safety. Mm-hmm. So I started using counseling techniques because I had to trust the fact that when I left, they would still do what they had to do when I wasn't there. And that's the biggest trick, right? And they don't teach that in safety classes. They don't teach that in no, they, they they do the master's program or nothing. They don't, they don't even hardly teach you how to teach. They teach people how to present in school, but not really teach. We can get into that later if you want to bring that. Yeah, that's a big difference, right? <laughs> yeah. Definitely. All of us have had a teacher that we thought was great. And we thought we there's a teacher that we thought was horrible and they have the same damn degree. I shouldn't have said it that way, but you're going to edit that. No, that, oh, no we're good. <laughs> right. And, and the whole thing, the whole thing, you know, just like the old joke, right? What do they call the doctor who got C's in the school? The doctor, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh no, he's doing a joke. That's our job. <laughs> hey, wait, yeah. That, that's at the end of this bill. Come on, don't be jumping yeah. to the end right away. But it's the same concept. So I started using that. And the biggest thing that a counselor needs 
is trust. The people who they're talking to has to be able to trust them. So that's what actually gives you the best, the biggest bang for your buck overall is you have to get, you have to have, be able to have people trust you in the field that are actually doing the work. The hard part within a company is the agendas that get pushed in here and there. Some people get bonuses for being really fast, but not necessarily good. So they'll take shortcuts, you know, and there's certain people that want to be really do the right thing and they get kind of held back because the the agendas are the overall corporate culture is against that. So you have to help teach them to work within the system that they have and use and identify the resources that they have. I like what you said, too, about teaching and presenting are two different things. And sometimes when you're in the safety field, you're not really taught or showed how to be a teacher. I think that shows a lot of people have knowledge, right? But passing that along to other people is tricky. That's not what, you know, that's why we're not all teachers. Someone might know what they're doing, but to teach or convey that to someone else is very tricky. The smartest person on a topic might not be a good teacher. So you really have to figure out a way to make it work, right? Yes, absolutely. I mean, with, with that, we do we try to do that all the time now. We really push that. We have some people, I don't, I'm thinking of one person right now, phenomenal welder. I mean, this person can just make anything. He teaches everybody else how to weld. But to have him, have him sit like this and explain it to you, he would absolutely refuse to do it can't be done. So you have to look again, look at your resources. So we, I offered to film, put screens up and actually film him doing what he's doing and then telling us about it. We will script it. And then we make our own in-house videos for it. Wow. That's very smart, actually. He's actually, um, he's going to retire here in two years. And that is, you know, 40 years of knowledge walking out the door and they don't have a grasp of any of it yet as far as the companies go. Same thing with different, you know, I'm working with a different company. We're mentoring subcontractors and stuff. Same thing. You know, they got some people who are phenomenal workers. They understand everything they need to do. But you give them a, a new person is like, yeah, follow him around. And the new person watches it and they're like, yeah, he's really good. But he never learned how to do it. He just, right. he just, the only thing he learned was, well, that guy is really good. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, isn't it true, especially in the construction area, right, where foreman that has been very productive or a regular worker, I should say, has been very productive. And so, so what do we do in the construction field? We promote them to foreman, right? And that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be a good foreman, right? Because do they have those skills in place, the communication, understand the systematic reasons why we do things within the whole organization, not just in safety? That sometimes can be a challenge. Wouldn't you agree with, with sometimes how in the construction industry, we promote a lot of the guys that are usually what, or, or gals that are the the fastest, the quickest, the most efficient on that, but they aren't necessarily the best at communicating? Uh, absolutely. Um, you know, because they, they're standouts because they're bulls out there. They're bulldozers. Right. And they just plow through things. And Very important for the organization. Very yeah. important for the organization to have. Yes. Yeah, there it, it is. But they have a hard time even just doing a simple meeting, like a toolbox talk in the morning or something like that, because they really can't. And like, like I say in all the meetings and stuff, I always joke because we'll ask the group a question. I have like 200 foremen and PMs and everybody out there will ask a simple question and it's crickets, you know, and it's the whole, all right, I know that when I, you know, throw a question out to a large group, they can't say a word. But if you put these people shoulder to shoulder and put a beer in the hand, you can't shut them up for four days. <laughs> so I know they know how to talk. The <laughs> beer is very important, by the way. <laughs> Liquid current. But they, they love to express themselves, right? But it's just something that holds them back and they can't do it in, in those different kind of venues. So a lot of that is pulling that out of those kinds of people. And also for the people to understand that just because you can give a presentation doesn't mean you can really teach anybody anything. The people that I that I hired on that came into my group after I got moved to this position, 
we put through a very, I put through a very specific series. And part of the series of, of what we had to do was actually keep bringing them from being a presenter, which is somebody who stands with a PowerPoint, all the way across to being a storyteller. Mm, I like that. And by doing that, I mean, everybody thought they thought I was kind of goofy at first here and there. But then once they learned it and they're watching presentations, they're like, this person is doing this wrong. This person is not doing this. They're not controlling their group. They're not talking to their group. They're talking at them or talking above them. And they start identifying that. Once they start identifying it, then they throw themselves into it. You know, and I got people who are just, you know, I've gotten some of the people I work with have gotten you know, great compliments from professional speakers and presenters from Moshe and all over the place that can't believe how well they can function. And I didn't know how to do it either. I had to learn it. It sounds like you have a good way of pulling people's positive elements out of them, giving them the confidence or maybe giving them the resources. Like I go back to, I believe you said it was a welder who knew his stuff, really good at it, but he did not want to really convey that or talk to someone. So you found a creative way. Like I love the video of him doing his thing and then you guys edited it and made it a learning tool for other people. Plus just the fact that it was a video, like some people just learn better that way with a visual versus just listening to someone. So I, I feel like you're very creative in, you know, it's not just one way for everyone, right? You kind of have to mold to whoever your audience is, I guess. No cookie cutter. Yes. Cookie cutter has its place. And that kind of goes with, all right, here's one for you. I like analogy. <laughs> a cookie cutter program is, they can be life-changing, right? They can be completely like changing of your entire group, your company, whatever. But it's like, it's like they're crawling through the desert because they've never done anything before, okay? And the cookie cutter programs come in there and they offer them a half a glass of water. When you're crawling through the desert, a half a glass of water can absolutely be life-changing, right? Then the cookie cutter program gives them all this information. So what they've theoretically done is pick them up out of the desert and they've thrown them into the ocean. And then they offer them the same half a glass of water. See what that, is? See what that ends up? That's where they lose it because you can't have a cookie cutter program that covers everything. You can't have a specific program. I, I've tried this. And a lot of this I'm talking about is because of failures, all right? You get people who have great success right out of the gate. All that means is they're not looking for the failures in their groups. They're focusing on just what's going right because there's always failures to everything. And that's how you continually improve. It's not about patting yourself on how great you are. It's acknowledging, yes, this is awesome. We're at this level. Let's keep going. We got here. We can take one more step. And, you know, the reason I use that analogy with that is because they can do the same thing over and over and over again. I worked with a company once that they had brought in a cookie cutter program. They spent a lot of money on it and it did make a big difference from where they're at to where they're at now. But they plateaued after just a couple of years. And the biggest thing they do is they go over, over and over again about how they had a culture change like three, four years ago. And they use the word culture change in every word they have. But when you deal with them and you work with them, they're actually doing the same thing everybody else is doing. They've modified a couple of things and they've stopped. They're now in the ocean carrying this glass of water around all happy when they need to be taught how to swim. How often does it happen to organizations, though? I know organizations I've worked for and work within sometimes that have that, right? They get to be where, you know what? We've gone 150 days without a recordable. Man, we are so great. We are really rocking, which there are some good things about that, right? I mean, that is good. But the thing is that when we start believing in that, we kind of lose how we got there. Wouldn't you say? <laughs> kind of that... that you get content. And then the other thing that I want to bring along that, Bill, you would probably know because of your experience in life, but for my analogy would be from um, something about Bob. What about Bob, actually? Oh, is the movie. movie. 
baby steps, <laughs> right? Yeah, baby baby steps. steps. Taking those baby steps. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Taking those little baby steps along sometimes and, and just making sure that we're getting there. But sometimes when we take a couple of those steps, we think we're successful and we forget to take the rest of them. That best. I've seen that a lot. Okay. So one of the things I always ask people when I'm, when I'm actually starting to get into this and trying to help them understand is there have been books from the 1970s, right? And programs based off of those books. My undergrad program is based off of one of those books. It was, it was a big influence in how they actually did behavior mind, you know, and we talked about them all the time. But if all of these books are right, then why are we still having problems now? That's the question that people aren't asking. It's always the latest, greatest thing. How can I separate this out and make some money off of this and sell somebody my book? You know what I mean? That's what people are saying. But I haven't read one yet that's actually wrong. I mean, there's different perceptions to it. You know, still how you take it. You may not agree with every little thing because it doesn't apply to how you see it. But all I have lists of hundreds of books that I've gone through and different programs that I've studied. And, you know, and they're all correct. It's just that they all have a certain stopping point. They're all very knowledge-based. But I kind of explain it as there's a way big difference between knowledge and understanding. If you really have, there's tons of people with knowledge out there. They, they'll, when, they, when they listen to us, when they listen to us talk about these concepts, about culture concepts, they're like, oh, yep, yep, I know that, yep. And they're actually probably nodding and saying that as they're listening because they're not really listening. But if they really went beyond knowledge into actually understanding how that program and how those things really work and how their environment works to their people, they'd be able to apply it. And that's where the application gets down. So there's a bunch of times that people actually, there's programs out there that have, they delve into the application, but ultimately they don't measure the application. So they don't really know what they're doing. They just leave it up to you. So Ted, if you read my book, I don't have one, but if you read my book, I can tell you all this great stuff, but it's up to you to do it. Well, if you know how to do it, you would have done it already. So <laughs> there's a gap there that I've really tried to push into with a few people that I know, just colleagues and different people that I really try, I really understand it. And the program developing is getting into that gap. The bad part of it is you can take a program that's perfect or even a program that's really well known. Name any one of the construction manufacturing programs that are recognized by OSHA as top of the top. And I can pretty much guarantee you, you cannot use that same program in your company because you're not them. You don't have the same structure. You don't have the same base. You don't have the same resources. You can do something like that. It might work. But most of the time people fail and they just go back to what they're doing before. Yeah, because implementation really, right? I mean, every company organization is set up, as you said, differently on uh, how their structure is. So implementation is going to be different, even if it is the same book, right? It's the different implementation with each size of the company. Barb, you're going to. Well, I was just going to. There's a lot of things I could, could say. I'm writing down all these notes. I have questions. You um, have questions. That I know. Is that's so unusual. So unusual. But mm. you know how you were saying, you know, there's so many books and so many different ways to do things. And I think one thing is you have to have a mindset of not everything is black and white. Some people think very black and white, yes or no. I'm kind of a gray thinker because I know not that it's right, but it works for me. Every situation is different. Every company is different. I look at the clients we have and the people you work with. You have to be very adaptable, right? You can't yep. just go in and do it Ted Carew's way. You can influence and share your knowledge, but you have to be adaptable because everyone's a little bit different. The other thing that I like that you said was, I think it was something about like, you might have the knowledge, but it can't just stop there. We had a guest on not too long ago where she talked about some people think they have the knowledge, even like upper management, but you really need to go in with the mindset of inquiry versus knowledge. And that goes back to what you said about continual learning. So there's cues to that. 
I mean, there, there's there's in verbiage. I'm a big I'm a big big one in the verbiage and how it's used, right? Some of the verbal cues that I really watch for in programming managers and everything else. It's things like, well, think of them like resume words, right? Facilitate. Well, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah. Even even the word manage. How they use the word manage. A big one. A big one is is engage. Oh, engage, engage, engage. You know, you gotta get out there, engage your people. It's like, what the what the hell does that mean? This guy can barely talk. All he does is text. <laughs> so he's engaging because he's sending text, but you don't read your texts, so you're not really listening to his engagement. You know, and it sounds kind of weird, but I was working with a, I was working with a company, and I actually asked the CEO. We were talking about engagement. Kept saying, engage, engage, engage. Gotta get my people to engage. All this other stuff. I'm like, here's an example. All right. So in order for this program to really work, you and I have to be engaged, right? Oh yeah, yeah. All right, great. Will you marry me? And he started laughing. <laughs> and I'm like, that is the definition of that word. I was like, I'm looking at it. Literally. Literally. I'm looking at it differently than you. All right. It's not about engage. Whenever I put um, uh, the engagement part of communication or anything like that into something, I literally make my people draw it out. If you cannot draw me a stick figure of what you're going to do, you're using a verb that is a verb group that doesn't do anything. It's a talking point. So if you get people to say, oh, I'm a doer, and then because I engage, it's like, eh, no, you're a talker because you use the word engage. <laughs> you actually do. Yeah, that's a very good point. So kind of getting back to safety culture or just an overall culture, I know we hit on it a little bit, but can you sum that up? Do you think there's really just a safety culture or overall, how do you get the people that maybe like safety is their job, right? And the people on the floor, they have a different job. How do you get everyone to kind of come together under that same umbrella? Have you run into difficulties? I know we've talked a little bit about how to approach people. Is there like one thing that seems to work really well for you, no matter who you're dealing with? I have seen the highest success when the people who are doing the work, realize that it's not my program. It's theirs. You know, I got, and I have managers that argue with me about, no, it's the company's program. They have to do what we say. It's like, no, no, you have, they have to do what we, you say to a certain point, but you still can't break the laws. All right. The program for actual real safety is theirs. You know, when, when somebody gets hurt, if someone goes and ends up in the hospital tonight, you know, I'll do all the paperwork. I wish to hell it didn't happen. I'll call them. I'll see how it's going. Anything I can do to help, I'll call the family. But I'm going to go home tonight. I'm going to sleep in my own bed when they're sitting in my house. It's their program. They have so to that, that ownership. They realize that. Then it's like, oh, okay, you're telling me this because you're actually here for me. And we tell people that all the time. It's like, we are a service. You know, the, the, the safety part, the employee development part, HR, quality programs, all that. We're all a service, part of a service industry within your own company to help you perform at your best. And best is not just singular. You know, it's not just like, oh, you're the fastest, so you're the best. Well, no, you're the fastest, but our finishers hate you because it's how it makes them so much work fixing all of your, all your screw-ups. So, <laughs> you know, so it's the best. The word best is, is subjective. Yeah. I would like to continue this conversation, Bill, if you're able to, if we take a little break, we'd love to have you on a little bit longer and maybe talk a little bit more about that communication part, how to improve communication. I know we've talked about it. If you have a certain style, just delve into that or anything else a little bit more. Does that sound good? Oh, sounds good. Okay. Do we want to end this episode with a joke or two, Ted, or... Sure. I mean, we, we might as well, you know, because we Any can't chance. leave the audience without 
Ted jokes because Ted jokes. I don't know. Well, what about Barb jokes? Well, that's a whole different story. Okay. But anyway, why don't you do one and we'll save okay. the the rest for the next episode? All right, Bill. Why are bridges so expensive? Why are bridges so expensive? It's all overhead. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Thank you. All right. Hey, thanks for being on this episode and looking forward to our our second part of talking with Bill Olson. Thank you for listening to Ted Speaks with Ted Carew, owner of Total Health and Safety Solutions, providing health and safety support to businesses by customizing a safety process to fit their needs, big or small. Please connect at ted.carew at healthandsafetynow.com or visit our website, healthandsafetynow.com to share your safety stories or find out more about how we can work together to ensure your people go home safely and turn an expense into a profit center. Follow us and leave a review on your favorite podcast app. Have a super safe week. 